Podcasting from the heart of the Gator Nation in Alachua County, Florida, this is Extension Cord, the podcast of UF-IFAS Extension Alachua County, where we plug in and bring UF-IFAS Extension to life. Good afternoon, everybody. This is uh, Dr. Taylor Clem with UF-IFAS Extension in Alachua County, and this is our monthly Extension Cord podcast. So this uh, this month we have... Uh, Dr. Juanita Papano, and she is a multi-county agent in Lake County um, here in Florida, and she is in fruit production. So today we're going to talk about citrus and the evolving uh, fruit production industry in Central Florida, and it's awesome to get Juanita's um, experience and background and knowledge and the things that she's learned working out in Lake County in that area. So welcome, very welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you. Yeah. So happy to be here. Yeah. So you are a multi-county agent compared to like me. I'm a, I'm an Alachua County agent. So you're multi-county. You're based in Lake yeah. County. But what uh, what counties are you currently serving and working in? So I cover Orange Lake and Marion. Although most of the fruit producers I work with are in Lake County, there's a few in in Marion and Orange County still that um, that I work with as well. Yeah. And. Lake County, in case listeners aren't entirely aware, um, it's pretty much smack dab in the middle of the state. It's just north, you're northeast, sorry, northwest of Orlando, um, and you're just south of like Ocala. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, and I, I think actually Lake County is supposed to be geographically in the middle of the state. Oh, really? And it's called oh. Lake County because of all the lakes. Oh, I know. I think you're, there's more water than there is land in Lake County. I've heard that. I don't know if that's a true stat or not. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, um, so tell us a little about yourself. So you've been, how long have you been with Extension? I've been with the University of Florida Extension for 18 years. Um, before that, I had, I had been an Extension specialist at West Virginia University in small fruit production, actually, for about four years. And, um, and a researcher with the um, the U.S. <laughs> with the, the New Zealand DSIR, which is like the USDA there working with um, kiwi fruit and apples. Oh, that's really cool. Years in New Zealand. So, yeah. How, so how did you end up working with an agriculture? And I, I'm just curious now, how did you end yeah. up working in New Zealand? <laughs> well, I, I, I started with in, in horticulture. My father was in horticulture. My family's been in horticulture for a long time. So um, I started out, I got my bachelor's at Virginia Tech in, in horticulture and then University of Maryland working with strawberries. And then I wanted to get experience because fruit production is so much different out on the West Coast. So I went out to Washington State to get my PhD working with apples. Oh, I met sense. a New Zealander when I was out there and got a job afterwards uh, working in New Zealand. Oh, that's awesome. I, that's a place I'd always like to go travel. <laughs> it's a beautiful place, but it's a long distance from from, from the U.S. And, oh, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to get back to my family. So oh, first I don't opportunity blame you. that could, I came back. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you in that. So, I mean, I, I'm excited to be able to talk about citrus and, you know, the citrus industry in Florida. Because when people think about Florida, they think about they think about oranges um, in our citrus industry. And it's, it's changed quite a bit. Um, so I want us to start out a little bit. Let's talk about that history of the citrus industry here in the state. 
can you give us a little bit of that background? Like how did Citrus in here end up here? Um, and how has that industry begun to evolve over time? Well, Citrus in Florida actually started with the Spanish. <laughs> the Spanish um, explorers, adventurers uh, brought citrus with them, and I guess they spit the seeds out or whatever, and the, the citrus <laughs> became wild here. And um, and the Native Americans then started using the fruit and, and spread it around as well. But the the seeds that they had, had left were for sour oranges. That's Traditionally in Spain, they have sour orange trees or street trees, and people harvest the fruit off those. They're just, you know, the street trees, um, but they are sour oranges. They're not sweet. And so, and, and one of the reasons why we call them citrus groves in Florida is because when we started out, we were just harvesting from wild groves of citrus trees, and they were sour oranges. And as sweet oranges became uh, more available, some of the growers would graft their sour orange groves over to sweet citrus. And eventually they got to where they actually planted them out in orchards and rows and everything, but we still call them the groves. Wow, that's, now, that's really neat. I did, I did not know that because, you know, I knew yeah. citrus has been here for, since the Spaniards because it's just part of trade, but the fact that how we got from their wild into the groves, I didn't know that. That's cool. That's like yeah, a new yeah. thing for me. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened in the 1800s. They started, you know, grafting them over and then planting out sweet oranges. And um, our our climate and everything's so so good for orange production. That was oranges and cattle were the big agricultural products for Florida, and. We had, you know, occasionally we have a series of freezes. In the late 1800s, they had some freezes that killed off a lot of stuff that people, you know, um, planted back. And um, we had, you know, freeze in the 60s and it hurt some things. But in the 1980s, we had a series of freezes like every few years. And, you know, people would, the first one, people, you know, well, the trees died because it was just too cold. So they planted back. And then a, a couple of years later, we had another freeze. And, and it just got, after three freezes, a lot of people just kind of gave up on trying to plant, in Central Florida at least, and they moved south. And so a lot of our, our you know, frost proof and things like that were these places further south where they felt that they could avoid all this cold. There were still plenty of growers in this area, but not so many because people started, you know, the, the groves have been killed back. They, they planted with pines or they sold for development. And of course, that has continued. And that's one of the reasons why this area of central Florida has very few orange groves left because the, the demand for land for development is so high that they, you know, a lot of growers can just, that's their retirement. They can sell their land off and retire on that money. And for example, Lake County in the 1960s had more than 100,000 acres of citrus. It was, as you said, the citrus tower, you couldn't see anything but citrus from there. Now you can only see houses. And that's after our, our series of freezes in the 80s, a lot of people just sold off their land. And now there's such a demand. And with the other series of diseases that have hit our, our state, um, it's just become so difficult to grow citrus that a lot of people would rather sell off the land because they can make a lot of money off of it because of that demand. Further south, where they have huge blocks of citrus um, and not so much development, they can still grow it profitably there. But up here, I've had more and more of the growers in my area are going to 
smaller farms and actually now more to you pick and agritourism. That's a that's a major industry is agritourism. I mean, I'm a fan of agritourism. Yes. I love any excuse to go visit a farm. <laughs> <laughs> so I the you mentioning that land use change, you know, and having a major major impact on the the citrus industry in central Florida and I was mentioning uh, before we started recording that when I was younger in central Florida because um, we had family that has a house there in Lake County, you know, we would go out, we could go out to Citrus Tower and just be oranges yes. as far as the eye can yeah. see. But like you mentioned, it's that changing industry. Yeah. And it, we, we had awesome. more than 100,000 acres and now we're down to less than 8,000. Oh my goodness. That's, that's mm-hmm. a major change. And so, and we're seeing that not, not just in Lake County, but we're seeing that across the state. Cause we're talking about land use change. Yeah. Yes. Agriculture is typically what um, we lose to development. And unfortunately, it's good agricultural land that once it's developed, will never be agricultural land again. And so we're losing a lot of our potential food security. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, it's it's important things. And, you know, having good agricultural production, and that's the importance. If you're talking about, you know, some of the research that's happening with uh, the University of Florida is really looking at efficiency. How are we allowing growers to grow more efficiently and effectively? So that's why, you know, different variety selection that's more tolerant to diseases, pests. Um, so we can make sure that, you know, by the acre, your production is higher. Is that correct? Yes. yes. It's something that we'd like to do. I know the diseases have caused a real reduction in productivity per acre, but there's research and and to to turn that around things like that the growing uh, citrus under a protective screen cover it's um cups c-u-p-s for citrus under protective screen and it's actually an insect excluding screen that they erect over the citrus trees and they grow them in there and they've had really good production they can keep the insects off and um, the trees get a little bit of shade and they actually produce better with about 30% shade. And so they're getting some really good production under those, but it is expensive to put that in oh, and I to bet. maintain it, especially in hurricanes. Oh yeah. Because I mean, if you're talking about how fine of a screen that you would have to have to be able to grow citrus under protection, you know, yeah, or so something it's, it's like small the psyllid. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> to keep a psyllid out. Yeah. yeah. Oh my, those are tiny. Different types, so yeah. So, um, I, so citrus is changing, and I know that we're looking at some other different types of fruit crops that are we can grow in Florida. So, you know, you were mentioning that in the in the past, previous agents that were in your position, they were citrus agent agents. Yes. But yes. as that changes, that industry changes, what we're starting to see is different types of fruit products pop up. Um, and what yes. are some of those fruit uh, crops that you're, we're seeing commercially? So, University of Florida breeders have really been working to produce crop, fruit crops that can be grown here. Peaches traditionally could not be grown here because they require a certain amount of cold in the wintertime. We didn't get enough cold. But they, the breeders have worked to now we have some really great low-chill peaches that we can grow here. So I have a few growers um, putting in some peaches. Now, peaches are, are labor-intensive. Um, so they're usually smaller plantings, and most of mine are actually um, you pick. Some are commercial, um, but there is a larger uh, uh, commercial peach industry a little further south. Um, we also have low-chill 
um, blueberries. Highbush blueberries could not be grown here. We don't get enough cold again. So the breeders worked with some of our native low-chill blueberries and crossed until we've got some excellent, they're called southern highbush blueberries, which do not require too much cold, and they are producing a lot too. And um, produce in an early time frame that nowhere else in, in the continental United States was producing them at that time. Which is and very so advantageous our for our growers. Right. Yeah. Peaches and, peaches and blueberries can market really early on when nobody else in the U.S. is producing. So it's great if people are purchasing U.S. grown fruit. Now, unfortunately, Mexico also can take all of these cultivars and grow them there for a lot cheaper and um, supply them at the same time and, and actually uh, are, are doing a, a, a bang up job producing more fruit than we can and, and selling it at a much lower price. So it's a, it's a real problem for our growers. So a lot of the growers, they're smaller, they're doing U-Pick because U-Pick, we don't have to compete with the Mexicans. And um, they're also, I've had more and more people starting to grow strawberries. Strawberries traditionally were grown more towards Plant City, Hillsboro, you know, Tampa Bay area. But I've got some more blueberry or strawberry growers up here now, too. And it's another, it's a you pick thing. And it's really just uh, small farms having diversified crops so that they can have something to provide uh, for people around the season, as, much, as long of a season as they can. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're, if you're in that agritour in, industry, you know, a lot of those growers, it's like you have one crop and then you're going to want that to bleed into another crop. So you were looking at income yes. year round or some way to have some type yes. of profit throughout the year. Usually the heat of the summer, there's not a whole lot. But in the cool <laughs> season, you want something as much as you can. <laughs> Sweet potato you pick might not be too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually working on a project now on sorrel. Which oh, is, really? Um, Florida, you know, Florida cranberry. Yeah. And that is something that you can actually eat the greens throughout um, the summertime and in the fall when it starts to flower and you get the harvest the calices um, for the, the, the cranberry. The thing. Florida cranberry. Um, oh, that's yeah, so yeah. good. Oh, it's so good. It is. <laughs> and, and there's all kinds of value added products you can create from that. So we're really um, interested. We're working with the uh, University of the Virgin Islands oh, um, cool. that have some, the breeders down there have produced some interesting cultivars. And so we're going to be planting some up here and seeing how they do in some Oh, I hear in Alachua County, you know, that's that's one of the top items. People love planting that, uh, the swirl, in order to make, you know, the tea. And so that's yeah. awesome. That's really cool that we're looking at an industry that can come out of that because I know that's a celebrated. Yeah. Uh, and there's crop. also another interesting thing because you'd asked what I was working on. I've been working with a grower in, in uh, Levy County. Yeah. Who is... Mm -hmm. um, growing elderberry oh, and cool. he's been doing yeah. elderberry trials elderberries are weeds around here yeah <laughs> um but elderberry is supposed to be very high in antioxidant really good for the flu and so there's been a huge demand online for elderberry and elderberry products and so he decided he'd try growing some elderberries and um, you can use the flowers as well as the, the fruit. Um, they're, they're used in, in wine and in beer right. and all kinds of um, um, products that uh, for, uh, I guess, nutraceuticals. Yeah. And um, so he's had some, some good experience. We'll be having a field day there probably next year because of COVID issues. But there will be a field day in Levy County with the elderberry grower there um, to show off um, the stuff that uh, that he's come up with is he's collected cultivars from all across the u.s as well as down here compared to compare to our florida natives 
and uh, the Florida natives seem to do better here, but they also have um, a less um, uh, concentrated harvest season. So our Florida natives will kind of flower and fruit almost all year long. Nice. That's like. very good for but, production. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for homeowners, <laughs> it would be great. For commercial producers, they want a concentrated harvest because mm-hmm. it's a whole lot more efficient. But um, if anybody wanted to try elderberries, they they like high, you know, uh, moist soils. Um, but if you've got a wet area in your yard, you might want to try elderberries. Try it out. Yeah. That's, I I want to take a step. Let's let's talk. Let's go back to citrus because if we're gonna, I okay. want us to talk like uh, about the homeowner portion. You know, we yes, talk a lot everybody about, thinks of Florida as citrus in production, and they want to have the citrus in their own backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So like I get calls all the time about citrus management and. It, it doesn't surprise me. I'm talking about like, what are some good varieties can I grow? You know, how do I manage pests? What's the best ideal growing conditions? And I, that's such a common thing that I, I want us to talk about that, you know, just to kind of explore, you know, yeah. how as homeowners is the best way for us to manage citrus. Yeah. And that's going to end up with, I want us to talk about citrus greening afterwards, because I know that's going to yeah. be something on everyone's mind. Yeah. Um, so you know, we have our citrus groves and I like imagining it's like a stand of citrus trees, you know, um, versus, you know, an orchard, but a wild stand, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's citrus and having at the homes. I remember being young and picking grapefruit, you know, you have that long telescoping pole, you know, and, yeah. and um, it's always, it's such a fun thing to be able to harvest your own citrus. And I want to ask, you know, what, you know, at least here in Alachua County, we'll have our cooler evenings. Um, we'll have our chill or frost out, frost nights, um, below freezing sometimes. But and I know that's parts of the Panhandle, North Florida as well. But you know, what are some of those great citrus varieties that you would recommend for homeowners? Because they're just like they're hardy, they're easy to uh, easy to grow and maintain. Well, right now, because of the citrus greening disease pressure. A lot of people who have citrus in their backyards and they're just dying. Um, so if I recommend a citrus, I recommend some of the few that are tolerant to greening. And Sugar Bell is one of the biggest ones that's tolerant to greening. Bingo is a brand new one that may be hard to get. It's a mandarin type. And Tango is also another mandarin type. Um, Tango has been around a long time. That one's from California, breeding program a long time ago. Sugar Bell and, and Tango have both been around for a while, but because they are tolerant, it's a real, there's a real demand for them, so it may be hard to get them. But um, Sugar Bell, Tango, and Bingo, there is a new USDA uh, introduction called Sun Dragon, which is also really interesting, really good flavor, it, and it's a really um, complex genetics using um, distant citrus relatives that are resistant to greening. Um, and then pulling it, you know, breeding, intercrossing with really good flavors. So Sun Dragon is another one. But other than that, well, lemons are so vigorous that even if they have greening, they usually continue to grow and you can, you can keep those producing. But traditional cultivars that we used to grow, I would hesitate to recommend unless you're really going to put a lot of effort into um, nursing that tree along and making sure it stays healthy. Because growers are finding that they can nurse them along and keep them producing, 
but it's a lot more difficult than um, it used to be. It used to be you could put the citrus in and, and pretty much let you know fertilize it a few, you know a few times and um, and it would produce for you. <laughs> and, with, and and I think that's an important thing for you know at least the homeowner. If we're looking at commercial production, they have a lot of. It, it might, to a certain extent, it might be easier for them to manage the citrus. But you know, for a hobbyist, those easy citrus is going to be best because you know yeah. our growers they have down the, the 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 fertilizing schedule. They have it down pat. You know, they're not going to miss yeah. the date. You know, um, yeah. our homeowners are like, oh, when do I proper? When's the proper time <laughs> to do nutrient management? Am I watering enough? So the easy, hardy, yeah. tough ones. Those are the ones I really like to. Uh, recommend and well uh, it, it, those are all ones that are uh, tolerant to greening but nothing's going to take you know uh, no you, hands you, off yeah <laughs> yeah you're still going to have to maintain it i mean we planted um i got some sugar bells uh a sugar bell and the, and, and the, the tango i think out for our discovery gardens here and but they haven't gotten i mean we, we had nobody there to take care of them last year with covid and and they're looking pretty sad oh, this no. year. So, you know, they're not completely effort-free. <laughs> so there's going to be some, like, key things. So yes, we typically think citrus, full sun, and that'll be fine. But you mentioned that if they get, like, 30% shade, they there's can be There's been research to show, yeah, that about 30% shade. And they, the reason why they found this is because people were noticing that trees that were growing wild in hammocks underneath oak trees seemed to be fine. They didn't seem to have the greening disease. And so they're trying to figure out, well, is it the shade? Is it something from the oaks? Is it something from the soil? They're still working on a lot of that. But they did find that 30% shade was actually good for, for the citrus tree. They're a natural understory tree. So you can produce them in full sun, but they'll take a little bit of shade as well. That's wonderful. So if I mean, if so, if you're a homeowner and you're interested in having citrus, even if you have some shade in your yard, you know that you should yep. be able to grow it well. Um, have yes. some at least some good success. Um, yes. So they need to have good drained soils. Um, you, they yes, want well to have wet soil feet because citrus are really sensitive to wet feet. And we used to say never use mulch. Because any you know, mulch would get up against the trunk and that'll cause rot. And you want to make sure your irrigation is not hitting your trunk either. But recently, um, they found that that research under what's going on under oak trees, um, they were they were trying some things using oak leaves. Well, actually, they ground up those used as a natural mulch green oak leaves and made a, a compost tea with it, which was in the greenhouse worked well to 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 keep the trees free of greening. Um, but so. Now, though, we're saying, well, use, use your oak leaves, whether they're green or they're brown. Use your oak leaves. Um, they're doing some research now on, on chipped uh, oak wood to actually use that for a mulch. So you can mulch under there because our, our soils are so low in organic matter. Any kind of organic matter you can add to the soil will be good. I have growers who are also using um, all kinds of compost because they found that the trees that are growing in high organic matter soil are much healthier and um, can kind of get, fight off that greening disease. So if you can add organic matter to your soil, whether it's pre-mixing it or, you know, adding it as a mulch on top, just be very careful not to get it up to the trunk. You okay. do not yeah. ever want to have it against the Keep trunk. Keep that nice and safe. Good. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> I So with, with the compost, that's kind of neat. So are they just doing like a thin layer of compost because no, they're actually they've said they is as much as they can put on i have guys who are, <laughs> who are spreading you know um uh, 
um, 10, 10 tons per acre of compost Whoa. and more if they can afford it because it's expensive to yeah. compost out somewhere and then to spread it. But they have found that the more compost they can add, um, the better it is. Oh, and wow. compost is something you have to replenish annually. Yeah, because it uh, essentially it like oxidizes. Yeah. 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 Yep. But this is the same kind of research they're finding for lawns is that when they put mm -hmm. that even just a quarter inch of compost across the lawn, it in improves the water holding and the soil, the nutrition retention and everything so that the, the lawn can grow better and everything because we have such sandy soils that organic matter helps with anything. It shows how important, this is a whole soils discussion now, it yeah. shows how important that that top little bit of soil, how important it is in agriculture and yes. I mean, just all things growing. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, well, yeah. and I also have some growers who were trying cover crops to provide that organic matter. And so they had started using the kind of cover crops that you would use for a uh, wildlife food plot. It's a mixture of millet and, you know, clay peas and all these different things. Um, and they actually now have, have refined it to where they have a, a summer, ones that grow in the summer and then ones that grow in the wintertime, like daikon radishes in the wintertime. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Green manure. They yeah. get, yeah, yes, yeah. these daikon radishes get enormous. And then when they die, um, they produce that, all that stuff's released into the soil again. So, yeah, this is, I mean, they're not, it doesn't look like something you'd want to have in your backyard to have all this cover crop. But any way you can get better organic matter and, you know, into your soil, the better your trees are going to grow. That's that's wonderful. I mean, organic matter, that's the bread and butter to yeah. successful plants. And so, you know, the the chipped up, if you have any organic matter, I guess, could be beneficial mm -hmm. to kind yeah. of that mulch yeah. just above the root zone. Don't let it touch the trunk of the tree. Um, right. But if you have oak leaves, that's more ideal if you have those oak trees. And that's yeah. what we think. That yeah. the, the research was actually using ground up green oak leaves, or you can make like an oak leaf compost tea. And that's really just um, grinding up or just even putting the full leaves into um, soak them. Yeah, and I mean, you can soak them overnight or as long as you want. But compost tea is, I mean, you can kind of think of about it as like fermented organic matter mm -hmm. and that you get all these microbes in there then. Um, and that's what really keeps healthy soil. Yeah. And a lot of it, it's like, I think, you know, we're at the point where it's like we're learning more about it. We're seeing that something really cool is happening, but we don't know why. Is that? We're working on looking on the, 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 the microflora. I mean, it, it takes microscopes and all this other stuff and DNA analysis, I think, to even just tell what all these different things are. She has actually, Dr. Sarah Strauss in Immokalee has actually found that depending on what cover crop you're growing, you're going to have different microbes in that soil. And, and so, uh, yeah, and, and, and that if you fumigate it or if you do any kind of chemical treatments, completely changes that microflora. And so, yeah, so they don't know which ones are actually better, but they're documenting what's there. That's, that's one thing I think is really, really neat about science and research is, you know, everybody always has that eureka, you, they call it the, that eureka moment, but uh scientists and researchers usually it's the oh that's funny you know <laughs> it's like oh look at that you know observation and we learn something we try to mm -hmm. 
test it. Um, mm. that, so that's, that's, I mean, it's, I think it's great news because I think it's going to end up lead, leading to us to think about how we manage things differently. And we'll come back to that in a, in a second. But um, so knowing that having an organic matter and is going to be great for managing backyard, um, we want to make sure that the citrus has well-drained soils, at least, um, because it doesn't like its wet feet. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about um, the, the nutrient management, because I know yeah. there's always questions like, how much, how often, yep. what do I put yep. down? <laughs> well, you know, controlled release fertilizer is what we like to promote for everything. And, and we love controlled release because it gradually releases the, the nutrients out. Whereas if you put down some that's not controlled release, you can get a heavy rain or heavy irrigation and you lose it. It's gone. Um, so in the past, you know, we did that. We lost lost a lot of our nutrients. So if you can afford the controlled release, that's the best. And then you don't have to put it down as frequently. If you don't want to pay for the controlled release, you can put small amounts of, of you know, regular water-soluble fertilizer out frequently. And, and so we have some growers who will, because they don't want to, the, the controlled release fertilizer is very expensive. But they will put um, irrigation, uh, they'll put the fertilizer out with the irrigation, very small amounts frequently with their irrigation in, in like a trickle line. And um, that way they can get the nutrients, you know, out to the plant just in small amounts as the plant needs it. But if, you, if you're going to fertilize and, and whether you use control release or whatever for, for citrus, it's usually about February through September that you need to fertilize and, and you can put it out, you know, if you're going to do mix it in your irrigation water, you can mix it up in your little watering can and, and, and fertilize weekly or monthly or whatever you want. Um, you do have to kind of figure out how much you have to put in each time. Um, and the amount of fertilizer a tree needs varies with age. So when it's very young, for example, if you have a um, um, 12, 4, 16 fertilizer analysis, um, and you have a one-year-old tree, it's going to take about two and a half pounds of that fertilizer for that tree in that year. Now you can split it up as many, six, if you want to put it, divide it up into six, you know, applications, divide that two and a half pounds of 12, 4, 16 up like that. Um, whereas it is, as you get an older tree, is if your tree is five years old or older, um, it's going to take more like 13 pounds of that 12, 4, 16 per tree per year. So divide it up however you can, but just realize, and the University of Florida has extension publications on, you know, how much you should be putting out every year for your trees. And now that is just the, 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 the NPK, the major. Yeah, the nitrogen. And like, yeah. even with that, like the phosphorus, like I know that they use phosphorus, but a yes. soil test is still important to understand. Right, right. Yeah. And if you can get fertilizer that has low phosphorus, you probably don't need to add phosphorus at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But nitrogen and potassium are really critical. Yeah. And now the, the recent research with, with greening has shown that the micronutrients that we knew always knew were important, but we're finding that it, they're really critical for greening. And the, and the trees use much more of these micronutrients if they're diseased than they did in the past. So the, the research is showing almost like three times the amount we used to recommend. Oh, wow. And 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 a lot of people don't even think, uh, homeowners don't even think about adding micronutrients. I just buy my citrus fertilizer and just whoop, yeah. throw it out, and then that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And they don't, and, and some citrus fertilizers may have them, or, and some may not. But the ones that are important, important to have are manganese, zinc, boron, and iron. So manganese, zinc, boron, and iron, really important to get those on 
whether you, I mean, for a while there, uh, growers were doing these foliar applications. It doesn't have to be foliar. That's a lot more difficult to have to squirt on the leaves. It can, it can, you can, well, you can do a solution, but you put it around a soil branch. Um, the roots are what's going to take it up eventually. Very little actually gets in through the leaves because the leaves have that waxy layer. And so I, most of the stuff they were applying foliarly just gets washed onto the soil anyway, and then the roots take it up. So, so could you theoretically uh, use that like same foliar spray, but you're just doing it as a soil drench instead? Yes, you could. Oh, okay. You could. Yeah. So, cause th that's one thing that I always talk with people about is like, you know, what's, there is always confusion. It's like, yeah, that's a foliar spray where you just spray it on the leaves. And a lot of people like, you know, it's like, that's a thing, you know, and it's like, <laughs> hey, it is, but you know, um, but doing it as a drench, I think that, you know, because the roots yeah. are going to uptake it anyways. Foliar so. sprays were originally when you have a plant that has a micronutrient deficiency, micronutrients are usually not moved around through the phloem of the plant. And so to get them onto the plant immediately, they would put them on the leaves, hoping that they would get in there really quickly. Well, leaves don't really, that's not the normal way plants take up nutrients. And, and so um, they're not that efficient that way. But, you know, the roots get them. The roots can take them up through the xylem and they will distribute them everywhere. So um, you can put it on the soil. So, because if we're recommending that someone say I'm applying, like I do a granular that's slow release, because a lot of homeowners they can go get that just like that citrus fertilizer, uh, yes, for, for their and they can just apply it, and say they apply do three applications throughout that February mm -hmm. to September, could they theoretically yep. do a micronutrient application at the same time if it's like three, oh, so yes. like three times sure. amount? So sure, yeah. sure, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, like we're talking about, you know, we're talking about nutrients and fertilizers. The nitrogen and phosphorus are 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 pollutants. Um, Those are the two that cause the most pollutant pollution in the in the waters. Yeah, yes. so that's why we're very concerned about how much you're applying with those, and we do a lot yes. of research to make sure that the uptake is as efficient as possible, and we're using that as appropriate as possible. Yes, and it's not yes. as a big of a concern with those other nutrients. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, the other micronutrients usually get they get they can get bound up very quickly. Um, yeah, they get bound up in the so, soil. Um, yeah, yeah, because they but the soil can also like organic matter can hold on to them, but it will also release them. Yeah, but yeah, it'll um, bump off the weaker ones. Yeah, <laughs> the soil, the acidity of the soil makes a big difference. Acid soil usually they're much more uh, uh, available, at, but high pH soils they're not. And one of the problems that around home sites is usually that with the concrete that's used for the slab or whatever, um, that the lime that's in concrete has increased the soil pH to where it's it's way above what you want, and it and it makes the micronutrients that are there unavailable. And so that is another thing that growers are doing. They are finding because they're finding that just our irrigation water can be high in pH. That if they acidify the irrigation water. Or they provide the nutrients in a in a, a sulfur format, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. like sulfur it's coated a or a, yeah. It's much better. The plants can take it up because if you can apply micronutrients, but if your soil pH is really high, it will lock them up so the tree can't access. Them. Oh wow! So what is that ideal pH? Because you know, I always like to tell people go get a soil test. At, you know, know what your pH is, know what your deficient is. So what would be that ideal soil pH for citrus? For citrus, it is about 5.5 to 6.5. We'd really like it right about six. 
but it can go you know, 5.5 to 6.5. Uh, above 6.5, you start having problems with with nutrients. And I bet, you know, when you're talking about um, the organic matter, if you have a slightly higher um, pH, having that organic matter can help buffer the soil so it can hold on to those nutrients until the plant, right. the, the tree can absorb them. Right. So. And, and, and um, organic matter often will lower the pH as well. A lot of people were concerned about oak leaves and oak leaf oak, oak compost raising the pH, but it, it's not, in our research, it's not been found to raise the pH. It, it's, it's good. Whereas if you use something like peat, peat's going to be a low pH. And, and, it's like you know, four and a half or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll take it down. Uh, but but we do, I, knew, I know for our vegetable gardens, we use a lot of mushroom compost because we can get it from the mushroom plant nearby. But that's, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it's a high pH. It's already at eight. Um, we have problems with that in our vegetable garden. So you have to be careful if you're, if, you're, if you're getting some compost that's already been made to check the pH because often they will add lime when they compost. Yeah, and we've had an issue before one time where we got some compost. And we're like, oh, it's going to be great. And we did. We even did um, 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 electroconductivity test on it from uh -huh. soil yeah. media, and it was right. really high. So we were concerned Very about high salts. So, mm -hmm. um, um, so but those salt fertilizers are salts. And so you have to realize that that measuring the electrical conductivity is a way of measuring fertility of that soil. Um, so um, they could be harmful salts or they could be good, good salts. salts. You're not yeah, really sure. <laughs> you might want to have more, more thorough analysis. <laughs> um, so I knowing that there is the proper nutrient management and there's always some pests that we see like one of the most common ones that i get called about is like citrus leaf miner like my leaf miner is the biggest one yeah, yeah I, it's like my leaf is curled up and i'm like are there squiggly lines on the leaf They're like yes <laughs> so you know can you talk briefly about that just because that's a, such a common one um but what are Talk about that, but like, what are some of those other key pest things that we can see pop up on our citrus for homeowners to be aware about? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is that that leaf miner, and and you have to, to to control leaf miner. You don't need to spray the whole tree. The leaf miner adults target the young flush of leaves, just as they're starting to come up, just like the uh, the Asian citrus psyllids do. They just want that young flush of leaves, and so if you can target spraying some kind of like a horticultural soap or um, a horticultural oil or neem oil or something to that young flush of growth, just as it's starting out, um, you don't want to, that is the best time to protect it from, from all kinds of pests. And the leaf miner as well, because the leaf miner lays its egg on the edge and then the, the larvae, the egg hatches and the larvae tunnels between the layers of the leaves. And, and you can't, uh, the only kind of pesticide that will work to kill that is going to be systemic. Systemic and most homeowners are not going to want to do that. Right. Blame them. Well, yeah. and, and neonicotinoids are the, the systemic of choice. Um, that is what nurseries use to, to make sure that the plants don't have Asian citrus psyllids. Asian citrus psyllids spread greening. And so now nurseries are required to grow all of their trees in insect-excluding greenhouses. And as they take them out, they treat them with uh, soil drenches of these neonicotinoids that will make the sap poisonous to these insects so that they can keep them clean until they get them to your field. Now, once you get them, uh, it's up to you to keep them clean. And for the first, first, you know, while the tree is still small, you can use soil drenches of neonicotinoids um, and the plant will take up enough to, to make it toxic to the insects. 
However, once the tree gets to be about three years old, it gets big enough that that does that way doesn't work very well anymore. And 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 growers will then spray the leaves. That's about the only way, and it's more of a contact uh, insecticide. And and there's a lot of concern about overuse of neonicotinoids right now because they are bad for pollinators. Yeah. So that's one reason why it's kind of like, well, you can use them at first, but I wouldn't continue using it once they start. The trees get big enough that they're going to flower and stuff. Good production. Neonicotinoids. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you know, for homeowners, when you're talking about like neem oil um, and like the horticultural soap, that's easy. That's really yeah. easy. I mean, it's it, and it's um, it's safe. Well, it's safer. I mean, it's still a, it's still a uh, pesticide, uh, but it's homeowners feel more comfortable using stuff like that. Um, Yes. Yes. So, um, and so we have that, what are some other pests that we could see uh, within our citrus? Really? I mean, you can see some scale insects. The the leaf monitors are by far the biggest thing that comes in all the time. Um, You can sometimes find some scale insects. Um, that once again, it's going to be oils that are going to help with that. Um, people will bring in issues with the fruit, but they're often just cosmetic issues. Um, uh, a citrus rust mite causes the fruit to to be all kind of black on the outside, uh, ex- it, um, except for where it's in the sh- in the, um, the shade. Um, and and it's it's a superficial, you know, it's just on the surface. You can't scrape it off or anything. But it doesn't hurt the fruit quality inside, and there are several different diseases and 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 things that can that will make the fruit not look very pretty, but it's still good inside. Um, so rust mites, scales would get on the leaves, um, and there's some there's a few leaf spots and stuff. They're usually not too bad for homeowners. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, going back in history, we see you know like citrus canker. Um, you know, we have citrus greening, um, and those, those are some big, those are the big ones. So can you explain, because I know that really because of those, it really dictates how we use citrus, both as homeowner, as homeowners, as well as from the commercial, uh, even just access to citrus, I think. Um, yeah, well, I mean, citrus, citrus canker was something that came in and, um, they tried to eradicate it. When it first came into the South Florida, they tried to eradicate it by you know, finding any trees that had it, cutting them down, cutting down all the trees that were anywhere near that, because it's a, it's a bacteria that, that was spread easily. Um, it only causes um, um, lesions. It doesn't get into the, the xylem or the phloem or anything of the plant. It is just lesions on the surface. Now you can get lesions on the fruit, you can get lesions on the leaves, and it can cause the, 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 the leaves to drop. Um, if you get enough on the fruit, it can cause the fruit to drop, and you know, so reduction in fruit quality. But it is still just spots, you know? Um, and, and you can treat that with copper, and that's, that's what growers normally use. They use all kinds of copper to, to control that. And, 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 and for a while there, they were trying to eradicate it, Hurricanes spread it everywhere and they realized oh. there was no way to eradicate it. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, for a while there, they were saying, you know, cut down any trees that found it and and um, destroy those trees. They're not doing that anymore. So if you've got it, you you can deal with it, but you don't have to worry about having to cut your tree down or anything. 
and and copper sprays, uh, copper um, toside is probably something people can get. But you can homeowners can probably get some copper fungicides. Fungicides, copper works as a fungicide bactericide. It's actually also used to as a herbicide. <laughs> it can be used. As a herbicide. It's <laughs> very adaptable. Multi-use. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want too much. Yeah. The dose means the poison. Um, so so. Um, Citrus uh, uh, canker is something to be concerned about, but it's not as bad as citrus greening. Citrus greening is a bacterial disease that gets into the plant and then it moves around in the foam, and then it causes everything to be to to clog up. That's the vascular system of the of the plant, and it it just causes the the carbohydrates from the leaves can't get down to feed the roots, and so starches build up in the leaves, and the roots are starved out, and the fruits start roots start to die back, and so they're not sending nutrients up, and so you start seeing all these nutrients. Efficiencies. Um, so uh, citrus greening is a much more challenging bacterial disease to work with. You can't just apply copper. You can't, they've tried, you know, they try to spray antibiotics, nothing because it can't get into the inside the plant. If you could inject the antibiotics, there's potentially this could do something, but not many people really want to have antibiotics in their trees. Um, so they're looking at other things. There are some, some, they found some peptides. Um, that are, you know, the, the parts that you make up a, a protein are peptides. And, um, and they found some peptides that seem to have some kind of antimicrobial activity. And so Is those that the research that's coming out of like, I, that's from like the, the limes? Or the finger limes, the, the yes. finger limes the finger in limes. Australia. Is yeah. that what that yeah, is? The yeah, the finger limes are these cute little limes. They're like a the, your thumb, and you break them open, and it actually the the, the fruit segments. Um, they're not all stuck together like our citrus. They're they're like little vesic. The vesicles are all separate. It looks like caviar, and that's oh, cool. How, so it's like a yeah, citrus pomegranate. It <laughs> caviar inside, and they have them in green and, and yeah. you know, and all these different kind of colors. Um, and and but they're really thorny thorny plants and they're and they're cold sensitive um so there's some people that are kind of interested in growing them because for for a crop because of uh, the novelty niche market of that um but they did find that they are resistant to, to greening and they found that the reason why is because they have this special peptide, peptide. in there mm-hmm. and so now they're looking at you know breeders incorporating that peptide or applying the peptide um, somehow, because a lot of the things that you could apply to a tree just won't get through that waxy layer of the leaves. Oh, that's and, true. And so the antibiotics are not working because of that. Mm. And some other things they've tried are not working because of that. And any, using any kind of an injection potentially could work, but commercially, nobody's going to be able to inject. I mean, imagine every tree. Yeah. 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 So they're working, looking for things that they can apply that will be taken up through the leaves. Mm-hmm. And there's some hope for that. Oh, that's wonderful. Fingers crossed that that works. <laughs> yeah, and there's peptides. I mean, there's peptides, not just the finger lime peptides. They found some other peptides that seem to have some antibiotic properties as well. So, yeah, there, that is a, a hot topic right now for research. Oh, wow. I Yeah, because I've had people call my office asking about that. Like, have you heard about this? And and I've read a couple articles, but, you know, it's I don't know too much because, I mean, it's still research that's going on. It's like, but, hey, if it works, that's uh-huh. That's awesome, you know, and on top of the other recommendations where we're thinking about that uh, three times of micronutrients, um, as well as like the really cool things that we're seeing with the impacts of having oaks around our uh, citrus. I think, you know, citrus greening is one of those things that 
almost all Floridians are aware of, or a majority of Floridians are aware of. And, you know, there is a concern about how citrus screening is impacting the industry and it has impacted our industry significantly. Yes. But I think seeing all these recent successes has been very beneficial. And I think it's giving everybody optimism and yes. trying to help create a solution to this problem. We can see a light at the end of the tunnel. I know, yeah. yeah. The other thing that I encourage homeowners to use is the Tamarixia wasp. We have some biological controls to help that control you the can get from the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Sciences or Services. Um, so you can, add, you can order these Tamarixia wasps. Our extension office has periodically um, gotten a shipment and then handed them out to people. And it's essentially as simple as you take this um, it's a vial that has, you know, more than a hundred. They're minute wasps. They're not anything that's ever going right. to there. I mean, you have to have a microscope to to see them. Um, so you get this little vial that has more than a hundred, and you just hang it in your tree and open it up and let them loose. And they go out and paras- they'll kill off, um, parasitize the the citrusillids that that are spreading the. Oh, that's wonderful. And so, at one time, we were um, uh, growers were really concerned that. They were spraying for the citrus psyllids, but the, the psyllids would just move out of the orchard and into people's backyard citrus. So it was a reservoir that would then come back into the grove. Um, and they were really not happy about people having citrus trees at all. But nowadays we realize that if we can have our homeowners all have Tamarixia on their citrus, we are a reservoir for the beneficial insects that can then go back out and help to control the, the, the psyllids. So, I, I always like to use biological control if I can. Have those Absolutely. little insects working for you. IPM strategies. Let them do the yeah. hard work so we don't have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, there's one final question I had because it pops up um, periodically. I have homeowners call me about grafting citrus. Yeah. Um, can homeowners graft citrus? And I know that can come I'm, – I'm, I, I'm not entirely sure the answer. I think I know the answer, but I want—I wanted to get you have a good it, background it in is, it. It is supposed to be illegal to graft citrus, and this is something because they want to make sure that citrus are coming from nurseries that have been inspected, and 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 citrus nurseries are required ever, ever since breeding, and, and they started requiring nurseries to to produce their trees under insect excluding screen. A lot of our citrus nurseries went out of business, a lot of them. So we only have a few who could afford to put up this kind of insect excluding screen, but it guarantees then that, that they're clean and they are inspected and they want to make sure that any citrus trees that are propagated are inspected and, and known to be clean. So it is, it is illegal to graft citrus. That being said, I don't think there's anybody who's actually inspecting for that. <laughs> yeah. I know, because when, when people have asked me, I'm like, you know, it's it's illegal. I was like, we have state yeah. statute yeah. that makes, that it has to become anything, it all has to be certified stock. And mm-hmm. I think it also becomes important because it's like, okay, where do I source, where do I get sources of the citrus or the different varieties that I want? And that can be kind of hard. And so... Sometimes yes. people, they turn to online orders because that's the easiest place that they can find it outside of like big box stores. So, yeah. Yep. Um, but I do know that we're really trying to look like, how can we start marketing more citrus for homeowners so they can buy trees, et cetera, of different varieties, which I think mm-hmm. 
homeowners who are grow who are avid gardeners love to have that variety of citrus. Yeah. And the more now I have to say that they used to have these fruit cocktail trees that were so popular. Uh, there was one great stock, and then you know multiple graphs. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was always the most vigorous, the most vigorous cyan would take over the rest of the tree. It's usually the grapefruit would just take over the rest of the tree. Um, and and people didn't realize. You know, suddenly, you know, it started out with five different kind of fruits and eventually got to just one kind of fruit that was ever being produced. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so much variation and vigor of, of um, cultivars that you might grow. So that's not the best way to try to grow um, citrus. I mean, that's it, it, a fun idea. But yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we're creeping good. up. We've been, I've been talking to you. I, there's so many other questions I want to ask you, but <laughs> we've already, we've been creeping up. We've been recording for almost an hour now. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but one thing I always love asking people, I like, I like asking this question a lot, and I think it'd be good to get your perspective is with, with IFAS extension, you know, you, since 2017, you've been working with the citrus and you have a lot of background. You've been working with the growers and homeowners, and you got a really good pulse of what's happening within the citrus industry. What would be that big key information that you'd really like the listeners to take home about Florida and citrus that I think would be that solid gold nugget that you'd like to hand them? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a hard one. Well, I, I, you know, for a while there, people were just kind of writing off citrus thinking we're going to recover. But I don't think that. I think Florida citrus is here to stay. It is coming back. And we will be producing citrus for a whole lot longer. Awesome. I think that's it. That's what they are. <laughs> that's that gold nugget. And I, you know, and I, I really want to thank you for taking this time and uh, speaking I'm with sure. me today. Um, this is a great mm -hmm. conversation to have with you. And I feel like, you know, I've, I've met with you more via Zoom this past year than we have ever actually in person. But, um, <laughs> but um, thank you very much. And I know that I appreciate you taking the time coming out here, but I also know that, um, you know, the, the residents within the counties that you work really appreciate your work with an extension and the help that you do with, with all of them. So thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. My pleasure.